You're listening to Adapted by The Narrative Labyrinth. Welcome to Adapted by The Narrative Labyrinth, a new limited series where we invite guests to come and talk about one individual franchise or story and how it's been translated across different mediums and medias. I'm your host, Rachel, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Zoe, who is here to talk about The Hunger Games, both book and film adaptions. So, hi, Zoe. Hello. So, here to talk about The Hunger Games. Yes. I guess, to start with, we must clarify, are you just talking about The Hunger Games, or are you also including the, uh, the, the, new, the new book and film that's coming out? Well, I was mainly going to focus on The Hunger Games because I can't talk about the film adaptation given it's not out yet. So why do you want to talk about The Hunger Games? So I'm a massive book nerd and for the most part, I think film adaptations never do them justice. The Hunger Games for me are the standout kind of one where they've actually done a really good adaptation. And actually, I think all the changes they make in the films off for the better so you're here to say the hunger games is a great set of books yes but also has translated really well into a set of films and you think they made the right creative decisions yes okay and we're gonna go into that in a bit more detail i guess so what drew you to the, what got you into the hunger games in the first place because it's a ya set of novels and politely i assume you were not the 13 year old target audience when it came out no although i can't remember how old i was when they came out but i've always enjoyed ya books i mean now i still when i go to the bookstore will probably come away with more ya books than anything else because i actually think they're decent um and a lot of the time have better characterization and there's not always the focus on kind of romance and sex that there is necessarily in adult books which i think can be a pleasant change um but yeah when the hunger games came out originally way back when i have the original ones before they became you know a massive deal uh, <laughs> they were just really good books and i picked them up on a whim in the bookstore because they looked interesting okay so did you read the first one and then pick up the second one when it came out and then yes. the third and like that so you didn't read them all at the end no as it were. i picked up the first one and then had the wait uh for the second one to be published and then between the second one being published and the third one coming out they changed the covers uh much to my despair at what point did you see the films then when they came out i was really excited for them um although with that trepidation of what are they going to have changed Okay, so your experience is actually different to mine. So I first came to The Hunger Games as a film franchise and I went and saw the first film in the cinema um, and then read all three books as a result of that because I'd seen the film, um, which I think was true for lots and lots of people. Did you 
going to a midnight showing of the film what was your do you remember how you came to see the film well i was really excited for it but i was nervous because it was an adaptation that they were going to ruin the book so i was in manchester and actually yeah so at that point i had a child and it was a get a babysitter deal to go see the film I think I went with a friend because I don't think my other half was interested. So no midnight releases or anything no, like that? No, definitely not. <laughs> I think it was a after work on a Thursday night to meet my friend in town and go see it. But I do remember, obviously, for the second one, and that because it had come out, the film had come out, I got my other half to watch it and he really enjoyed it. So we then went to see the rest. So you converted people. So you had the physical books as well rather than... Any reason you went for physical books rather than e-books or anything like that at that point in time? It's kind of the ebook boom. It was. Um, I think I probably had them on digital as well, but I, I liked them so much. I had the physical books. But for this one, I had the physical book first because I, I know I got the first print run. Um, but I think it's because I found it in a, a shop. Or like there was this really geeky shop I used to go in that had all like interesting books. Um, and a friend had been like, oh, you'll really like that. Pick it up. Okay. So, moving on, I guess we've covered this a little bit. Um, do you think the book and the film, do you think the adaptation has the same core meanings and themes as the books? Yes, and I think it gets them across really, really well. Um, I think that's one of the things the film does really well, is they are true to the spirit of the books, and the changes they make don't take anything away from that. They are changes to make it simpler or easier for the audience to understand or to kind of cut out superfluous stuff that would have made the films too long without changing the heart of the books so do you think the for example the books are entirely told as a first person narrative we get a lot of her thought processes of Katniss that's entirely missing through the film do you think that's missing in the film or do you think it was a an intentional do you think it was a good creative choice to do that yeah well if you take kind of Hamish's interactions with Katniss as an example. So in the books, when Katniss is in the arena and she's receiving kind of the, the parcels from Hamish, there's no messages with that. We spend a lot of time with Katniss trying to work out the meaning of the parcels and what Hamish was trying to tell her by what he sent. But obviously that's a lot of pages of Katniss's thoughts about, oh, well, by sending me this, what's he trying to get across? Oh, he's only sent me soup and what I actually need is medicine, so maybe I need to do more. Like, I'm on the right track, but I need to do more to get a better, you know, present. But we don't have the time for that in the films. So in the films, what you actually see is Hamish in the background doing deals with people to get the prizes, and then he gives her a little note. And it just speeds it all up. So by showing us the interactions and points of view of other people, it cuts out all the time we would have had to have spent with Katniss's internal monologue, basically, in the films, which would have been quite dull. Okay, so some of the key themes that they had through the books, certainly, were the themes of inequality between rich and poor. Um, I would, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably going to agree that that is equally carried well throughout the films. Yes, absolutely. Like you get a real difference in the films just from the clothing, the quality of lifestyles, the cleanliness of the people uh, in the districts compared to the capitals and even the the differences between the districts. 
like you can see when they get to some of the districts later on that they are obviously more wealthy. I think that's the only thing I say they could have done slightly better in the films is to show the difference between the people in the districts. So you'd have liked to see more more differences between the people in the districts? Well, the only time we see the districts in the films is when they're in rebellion. So everybody's dressed for battle. Um, it's not that we actually see more of the districts in the books, but we get them described to us a bit more. So we get the sense that four and two and, you know, three and that are wealthier by what they have. Um, and in the films, we don't... We kind of get it mentioned, but it doesn't quite hit as much as it does in the books. Do you think that's an intentional thing to leave out some of the districts for hopes of future franchises or things like that? Or do you think it's just, we don't need to know this is a story about District 12 and District 13 and the capital? I think it's it was stuff they had time to give to us in the books that would have just added too much to the films um, that we didn't need. Like it was nice to have. Uh, question for you based on that we obviously they do the the rich and poor inequalities through the districts do you think um they show much of that within districts i think they show us a bit certainly in district 12 we get a lot of it and actually you know district 11 as well with rue um family and that we we do see quite a bit of it i think we could have got more of it uh in the books in the second book we have the people escaping from I'm gonna say district two but I could be wrong where the uniforms for the peace keepers are made and they're escaping through the woods and Katniss meets them in the woods outside district 12 and they give us a real sense of you know for Katniss district two is really wealthy and why are these people complaining and they tell us about the problems they're having that we don't quite get in the films. Um, so, you know, I think there could have been more of it, but I think they do as good a job as they could without spending too much time on it. So I think, and this is a very uh, a personal opinion, I think it's a shame that they didn't give us any more about the, um, the elements that come through in the books where Katniss is uh, putting her name in more times to get more rations. Okay, so in District 12 and we assume the other districts, but certainly in 12, you can opt to put your name in more often to get kind of grain and oil for your family. And there's a long conversation between Katniss and Gail about how many times is his name in because we get more time given to Gail in the books and we understand like he's got multiple siblings. There's a quick mention of them in the films. Oh, Gail, you have to protect your brothers. Gail also has sisters. Like, Gail is one of many. Um, I feel Gail in the films is f far more filling the sexy lamp quota. Yeah. Which is nice. It's normally a woman filling that quota. But he he's definitely uh, a historic love interest rather than a, a, a current love interest, I think. Yeah. Certainly they, through the first two. Yeah. Like, they, tr they have it a little bit in the films, but not nearly as much. Um that, you know, Gail loves Canis and she's kind of in her head and made the assumption that they'll end up together, but she's not there yet. You know, that's not what she's interested in at the moment. She's trying to keep her family afloat. 
But in the books, you certainly have that kind of, ah, eventually, you know, we'll marry and have children because that's what you do in District 12. And everyone's assumed that's what we'll do and we probably will because we get along well enough, whatever. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more time given to Gail and his family. Like we meet his mum, we meet his siblings, we know their names. Like there's a real sense that Gail is doing everything he can to keep his family afloat because his father died in the same mining accident where Katniss's dad died. So there's kind of a lot more backstory and richness there for the character. Um, so yeah, we get this explanation that Gail is putting his name in a lot because he's got really young siblings that if their name, you know, they can't put in yet, they're too young, so they're not ready for the reaping. He's kind of the only one that is. And I think maybe there's one other brother that is now of age to be reaped, but Gail's trying to protect him. So, you know, Gail's putting his name in more. And we also get told, you know, Katniss is putting her name in a lot because, again, in the books, we get a lot more detail about the mental breakdown that her mother has when her father dies, which we get reference to in the films. And we do see a bit, but there is more given it in the books. And the fact that Katniss had to keep taking the parcels and putting her name in because Prim was too young and her mum was not there. She'd checked out mentally and wasn't working. Um, and it was only when Katniss grew up enough to start hunting that she was able to start putting her name in less, but she was still putting in a lot. And also, you know, the whole thing about, so Katniss does trading. So she goes hunting and trades what she's hunted to get a goat for Prim. And that again, helps the family stay afloat because Prim's goat they're now using to get milk and to make cheese and they trade that. So we really get a lot more sense of the things that the Everdeens are doing because their mum's not coping to try and limit how much they're putting their name in the pot. So you think they, um, do you think it was right to, to leave some of that out of the film? I, I guess you're, as everything else you said, you're going to say just through time constraint, you think it makes sense. Yeah, and I think the only thing we really miss with District 12 in the books compared to the films is in the books, District 12 is poor. And that is the only sense we get. We don't really get a sense that there are any classes in District 12, just everybody is poor. But in the books, we get told that even within District 12, there are different classes. So Katniss's best friend is Madge, who's the mayor's daughter, and they have nice things. And Katniss always thought the things that Madge's family had were really nice until she goes to the capital and realises that actually, even in comparison to the capital, the wealthy people in District 12 had nothing. And Katniss's mum married down when she married her father and she came from the merchant class and her family had wealth relative to District 12. And when she married Katniss's father, who was from a mining background in the seam, her family basically kind of disowned her because she'd married down. So quite a lot of early 20th century class style and systems running through District 12 and we assume other districts as well. Yeah, so Peter, like Katniss's mum, is meant to be from that kind of merchant middle class because they have the bakery. So the other, um, I think, key themes that, that certainly I identified uh, running throughout is um, suffering as, a, as entertainment. And it's very much the Roman kind of gladiatorial. Well, and, you know, modern reality TV. Um, and also the importance of appearance, which, again, feels very um, modern in terms of its, its thoughts. Yeah, or it's that whole concept of kind of dress for work isn't it yeah you've got to look professional if you look professional people are more likely to employ you you kind of get that 
um, with kind of Hamish and Sinner and that dressing Katniss up in the games and saying it won't hurt you to appear more feminine, it won't hurt you to look nice. People are more likely to sponsor you if you look nice. I would almost argue that maybe the films uh, do the importance of appearance, certainly uh, in a more concise but equally powerful way um, the, as, as the books. Yeah, I think because the films are a visual medium, you kind of get that sense much easier in the books. You can see the richness of the lavish costumes in the capital. You can see um, how nice everything is, how clean it is, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think the books do spend more effort kind of describing the grubbiness and the dirtiness. And you don't really get it in the film because you don't want your main stars to be grubby and dirty. Picking apart what you've said there, it sounds like you're saying the books focus more on the dirty and the grubby and the the importance of appearance from people that don't care about their appearance, while the films show us more the importance of appearance from the side of the capital and from the opulence and over-the-topness. Yeah, and it's really interesting if you take Effie in, as an example. So Effie is much more prevalent in the films we see much more of Effie in the films you know in the third book Effie doesn't even kind of she's not even really relevant at all um but a because Elizabeth Banks did such an amazing job as Effie um they were like oh we should keep her in because fans really like her but you know she gives us that window into the capital of her ridiculously over the top clothing and hair and makeup and everything else Effie is all about appearance so that's a do you think that's a key difference then uh, the the more prevalent appearance of Effie throughout the entire series rather than just in the first two film, books yeah and I think that you know there, there was two choice there was two reasons behind that one because fans really liked it and two it was a really good way in the films to give us a window into how the capital would cope with things like district 13 so you think they used Effie as a as a how-to guide for the audience and how we should feel as the audience through yeah like the capital people had everything and then you get Effie kind of taken out of that into district 13 and she didn't opt in for it so I guess that flows nicely into it was three books and four films. Do you think they were right to extend or do you think it was more about a cash grab like maybe the Harry Potter series when they extended those or The Hobbit that was one book into three films? No, I think it did work. I think they would have had to have cut so much out to get the third book into one film. Um, I think by splitting it, the first really focuses on District 13 and it's Katniss's experience in District 13. And there are still things cut out from that that I do think we missed, um, like Katniss training. Um, so in the books, we spend a lot of time with Katniss trying to get back into shape. Like, you know, she's really suffered from PTSD. She's had kind of health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues. Um, and when it's announced that they're going to be attacking the capital, everybody basically has to pass a physical training regime and Katniss has to get back into shape. Um, and actually, Joanna tries to do it with her and, and fails out. Ka Joanna can't cope. Are there other any other major differences between the books and the films that you want to, to highlight? So the first Katniss hears about rebellions in book two is when she's visiting Madge and her father gets called away for a meeting or something and Katniss is, I don't know, she's staying overnight or whatever and she walks past his office and he's left the door open a bit 
and she sees on the screens about the rebellions. And that is when she tries to persuade Gail that they should escape or something and lets slip that rebellion's already happening. And Gail's like, no, if it's started, we've got to stay. Um, so, you know, there's there's different bits that by having kind of imagined her family in it, it showed us this different side to District 12. And it also it allowed things to happen in a slightly different order. The other person I think is really kind of missing is, I want to say her name's Daisy, but my brain's gone blank. But when they're in District 13 and they've saved Peter and he's full of, you know, Tracker Jack venom and, you know, has gone crazy and blames Katniss for everything that's gone wrong, they realise that the thing that triggers him is Katniss. So nobody who has anything to do with Katniss can go near Peter. So they find a girl that Peter was friends with because she, like him, was kind of the the merchant class um, who has no association to Katniss. And it's her that works with Peter to bring him back and make him slightly less crazy. What about the missing Avox through the yeah, whole series? Yeah, I think that's the one bit where that was such a detail about the capital's cruelty. So, you know, if you really, really stepped out of line and were a traitor, they killed you. But if you, you know, what about people who stole or, you know, did other things? You know, what is punishment in the capital? Did they go to prison? Is that what they had? You know, what, what? Community service? Is that a thing? It's the Avox. And, you know, it's only in the third film where we get introduced to this concept very briefly. It's kind of this throwaway comment. But in the books, the Avox have been there all along, you know. Do you think they could have translated that onto film without increasing their rating? Or Because The Hunger Games are quite a dark concept. As a, as a YA book, they're definitely on the more mature end of YA, I'd say. Certainly some of the themes. And I would say some of that had to be toned down to get its 12 rating, its PG-13 rating. Yeah, well, we don't see the torture in the books. We just, we know about it. We know it's happening. Um, but yeah, there's a few interesting things like that, actually, that they miss out from the films. So A, the mutts. B, the fact that in the books, Peter loses his leg. So Peter is an amputee who gets a prosthetic in the books. Why do you think they missed that out in the film? Again, I don't know whether it's just because these were children that we were watching and they were going for a 12 rating. And actually, that's a really, you know, this child has now lost its leg and is an amputee. And Katniss. Katniss loses hearing in one side and has hearing aid. It's built in and they fixed her ear rather than an actual hearing aid because the capital does medical wonders. But, you know, she has to have her ear effectively put back together because she can hear nothing from it from the blast. Do you think that's some erasure of disability in the film? Do you think that's... Because to me, that sounds like um, something that they could have put in. Um, and it is a bit of disability erasure and disabled characters are so rare. Um, obviously, PTSD is shown a lot in kind of uh, mental health. But you're right, we don't really get any of this kind of physical disability. Yeah, I think I think it is a shame that they completely erase that, and certainly for both of them, like keep it in one for one or the other maybe, but to, to remove both I think is a massive shame because Katniss uses her hearing kind of getting fixed to her benefit. So in the second one, she's obviously, her hearing's been fixed after the events of the first games. Um, and when she's in the training center, BT and wires show her how to tell where there's a force field. And she, one of the main things about Katniss as her character is that she doesn't trust anybody. 
After the death of her father and her mother withdrawing and having kind of a mental breakdown, Katniss does not trust at all. Um, and, you know, we really see that in the first one where she just assumes instantly that the worst of Peter, like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, he's going to kill me, I'm going to kill him. And she just, even when he tries to demonstrate multiple times, she still doesn't really trust him. And in the second games, well, now she trusts Peter, but she doesn't trust anybody else. And she, the whole... You know, if Katniss had been able to trust, would the second games have gone differently? Would people have told her what was going, you know? Okay, moving away from the details of, of the films themselves or the properties themselves, if you could adapt the books into any other medium, what would you pick? I don't know. They, they wouldn't work, I don't think, as like a stage play or anything else. You could audiobook, I guess. Although I think that'd be quite harrowing to listen to. Wouldn't fall asleep during the quarter quell then. <laughs> <laughs> get woken up with like screaming in your ear mm, no uh, I think comics is the only one where it would actually work well like a graphic novel okay I could uh, certainly see it would you do a direct adaptation or would you would you cut bits out extend bits maybe I think I would do it almost as a mix of kind of what they did in the films because that's how people visualise it so you don't want to make massive changes from the visualisation. I think you want it to be fairly close to the films because that's what people imagine. Um, but I think I would add in some of the richness from the books. Speaking of adapting it again, do you think anything needs to change in The Hunger Games if it was to be adapted? Do you think it needs any modernisation? Do you think anything in it needs to change if it were to be made today in 2023? I actually... So I think one of the really interesting things about The Hunger Games is... Panem is a post-apocalyptic world that's learnt and moved on from its apocalypse. Well, it's post-apocalyptic. post, post Exactly. So we get this mix in District 12. It has an older feeling. In the books, you know, Katniss's family have an old beaten-up TV in the house. They've changed that for the films and they have a... A holographic. Yeah, holographic projector. Um... Which I think, think that's to make it more futuristic. futuristic. Yeah, which I actually don't think they should have done. I think they should have stuck with the old TV because that's kind of meant to be the thing of the capital has the future tech. I disagree with you on that one because you are setting it in post, post-apocalyptic. An old TV isn't necessarily going to work. And actually their, their holographic... Um, TV thing is definitely less good than the ones in the capital. Oh, yeah, it's much absolutely. Smaller. But it was, just, it was just one of those little points. But yeah, so the whole idea is it is a post post apocalyptic world. So some things they have are old. A lot of what they have is new. And it's kind of this mix where you don't really know what time it is, but you still get the sense that it's not too far in the distant future from us, it's believable future. I think you're right. I think it hits that kind of the handmaiden's tale kind of this is the future, but it's it's an obtainable future. It is just out of your fingertips grasp future. Yeah. Because the society fell, they kept some of the learnings, they kept some of the stuff they had before society fell, so they were able to rebuild fairly quickly, but they've still had to rebuild. So it's not that far in the future because they had to put society back together again. Do you think any of that needs changing if it was to be made now in 2023? If it, Do you think it needs modernising? I think it would be small tweaks. You know, for some of the stuff in the capital, I think you'd do small tweaks to just make sure you get that sense across that the capital has wonderful 
futuristic stuff. Do you think the watching the films changed the way you thought about the franchise? No, I don't think it did. I think there's definitely other adaptations where I watched the film and either it was so bad it just tainted the whole thing for me or it made me think about it differently. I don't think the Hunger Games did because I think they're so close to the books. I think the only changes is how you picture the characters. So they changed how some of the characters look. And obviously once you've seen the film, you're more likely to picture the characters the way you've seen them visually rather than the way you picture them in your head. Yeah, you certainly don't think of Katniss having olive skin and dark hair. You don't think of her having a more kind of... No, you think of Jennifer Lawrence. Like, So I think that's kind of the main change for me is how I picture the characters. Uh, again, I, I don't actually disagree. I think they're they're really good faithful adaptations. What would you say to someone who had never experienced any of the Hunger Games property before? How would you suggest they get into it? I mean, I will always recommend reading the books because I always think you should read the books because it's easier, I think, to read the books first and then watch a film. Because once you've seen the film, you've seen the film. Equally, my child is now 12. And I'd have no problem with him watching the films. I still think he's a bit young to read the books. So you wouldn't say that you have to read the book first or you have to watch the film first or... Yeah, and again, I think that's because the films are such a good adaptation. I don't think you lose anything if actually you see the films first. Again, there are other adaptations where I'm like, no, for the love of the shiny thing, read the book first because the films lose so much. And I guess my final question before I let you go... What does The Hunger Games mean to you as a franchise and as a story? I don't know, because it's definitely one I rewatch more than most things. I do find the films really rewatchable. I probably rewatch the films more than I reread the books. Like, I've done a reread of the books several times, but I have rewatched the films more. Um,. I think they are depressingly believable <laughs> without being too, too grim, dark and awful. Like, I can completely see how that society got there and made its terrible choices. But it's also quite open-ended. There's no guarantee it's going to get any better. Exactly. And they make that point, certainly in the books. I don't think they make it in the films. That, you know, society moves in cycles and hopefully they're about to enter a better cycle but who knows how long it'll last because society's been here before and I think for me that's one of the reasons I actually really like it because it is different but it's also believable and it shows that people keep fighting and people keep trying to do things that are better but it does it in a believable way like Katniss as a main character is pretty you know self-involved she really doesn't think about many other people because she's actually really realistic. She's been through trauma. She really struggles to trust people. She keeps her circle of trust really small. It's basically her, Prim and Gail. Doesn't even include her mother because her mother's let her down so badly. Um, and through the story, she slowly opens up her circle of trust, but it keeps getting beaten down again and she keeps losing people. Like she gets to the point in the third book where she trusts Finnick she would you know probably count Finnick as one of her people and then he dies horrifically and it, it's this real thing um but towards the end of the books and the films she grows up and she realizes that not all people are bad not all people are 
untrustworthy and she slowly lets you know some more people in she opens up her circle a bit but it's not and now she's fixed and everything's better you she's still dealing with her mental health problems she says at the end of the the books and the films when she's talking to her baby mummy still has nightmares i'll tell you about them someday in the books does she make a comment that they're playing on the graves of thousands yes. yeah. yeah you don't get that in the films but yeah in the books it's made very clear that the field her family is playing on is has grown over all of the skeletons of the people blown up by president snow what a lovely end note yeah <laughs> And as that is our end note, is there anything else you'd like to add about The Hunger Games? You've got one final comment you can make. Effie is still the best character, whether it's in the books or the films. Although, interestingly, in the books you get her full name. In the film, she's only ever Effie. And is it always Elizabeth Banks? I mean, in my head forever, it is always Elizabeth Banks. Well, thank you very much for coming and joining us. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, before we say goodbye? May the odds be ever in your favour. And where can people find you? Uh, I am on uh, the Twitters as Zoe on the go. There's lots of underscores in there. And that's mainly it. You have been listening to Adapted by the Narrative Labyrinth. I've been your host, Rachel, and you can find all episodes of Adapted and the Narrative Labyrinths on all major podcast and social media platforms. You just search for the Narrative Labyrinths. The music in this episode has been composed by CJ, and you can find them on SoundCloud. Their link is in the description. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.